We started a new series last week called 200 Proof, which the whole idea behind it is to look at cultural issues by presenting biblical answers to those cultural issues. Issues that we face, that we discuss, that are being debated in our uh, nation right now and in the culture at large. And the question is, how do we as Christians and as a church engage that culture that is changing, and not just changing, but it's growing ever more hostile to some of the convictions and some of the beliefs that we hold dear? How do we remain salt and light, but yet still engage that culture? How can we uh, share the truth of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel to a culture that is conflicting with everything that we stand for? And last week we began, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast. We, we kind of began to set some foundations. This morning we'll continue in that because before we talk about engaging the culture, we have to look at where we are. And I shared with you last week that one of the greatest questions we need to ask ourselves before we ever talk about engaging the culture is what do we really believe? What convictions do you really hold dear? And more importantly, where did those convictions come from? Why do you believe them? And can you explain them using grace and mercy through your language? And to be able to do that this morning, I believe the answer to that comes from our search for authority and truth. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what is truth and where do we find truth and how do we explain truth. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Peter. 1 Peter will flip around back and forth. In your order of service, it has the book of Galatians listed there. and That can help you so you don't have to cover both areas. Uh, last week, I mentioned George Barna, who is a Christian uh, statistician. He's a Christian researcher, and he's probably the most uh, respected Christian researcher there is. And last year, 2014, they did a survey in the United States of America just trying to gauge not just Christian environment, but in influences on the Christian at large. In that survey, he found that 88% of American homes contained a Bible. So that meant eight, almost nine out of every ten home in the United States contained a Bible. Matter of fact, they found that the average American home had 4.7 Bibles in their house. So the average house had maybe five or six or seven, some had two or three, but everybody had a couple. And then when they dug deeper into that, they found that 56% of those Americans would say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So almost 6 out of the 10 said that this book that they have is the inspired Word of God. But yet only 39% listed it as their top source of moral authority. You see, they were willing to say, 6 out of 10 say that this book is the Word of God and it is inspired, but yet only 30% was willing to say that it is our source of moral authority. And what's even more scary is when they began to look at it, only 32% said they read it more than once a week. So let me break that down to help you understand it. If this is the inspired Word of God according to 5 out of 10 of them, and only 4 out of 10 say it's the moral authority. What is the moral authority for their lives? What is, for that 60%, the moral authority? Is it what the crowd says? It is, is it what's popular opinion? And if you look even deeper in that study, out of that 60% that said the Bible is not their source of truth, 32% said there really is no measuring of absolute truth. That there is no absolute truth, that all truth is relative, that, that it, you may say something is a lie, 
But it's only a lie depending on the circumstances in the situation. A lie is not always a lie. Cheating is not always cheating. Murder is not always murder. Adultery is not always adultery because they believe there is no absolute truth. It depends on the circumstance. So that, in a general sense, is where we stand in America, and that is where we stand with many of the problems we have. If only three out of every ten that say that the Bible is their source of authority, read the Bible once a week, we have a problem. When you look at just the Christians, you take out all of America, and he surveyed just those that claim to be Christians, born again, saying Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and 52% of the Christians said they read their Bible once a week at least. So only half of all Christians say they ever read their Bible once a week, and that's including Sunday. So you've got to figure some of those people are thinking Sunday when I just had you look it up or had you turn to it. You see, what I want to suggest to you this morning is we don't have a cultural problem. We have a Bible problem. We don't have a cultural issue where the culture is falling apart. We have an issue where the church is not standing up for the truth of the Word of God and allowing it to penetrate into the darkness. It's only getting worse. Because these statistics, when you go back and look 10 years ago, those statistics have all fallen or doubled, depending on which way you look at it. You see, what we need to understand, as Peter said last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the hope that you have. And he said, when you give that answer, do it with gentleness and respect. My question this morning is, what answer are we giving them? What do we really believe and why do we believe it? And where does it come from? Those deep-held convictions that you stand on, where did you get those? And can they be changed? You see, most of us have trouble doing so, so what we do is we either retreat from engaging the culture, we retreat from those around us, or we attack the others that are against us. And neither of those bring us a solution that we found last week, the middle ground where we need to learn to lovingly engage our culture because God calls us to be salt and light. And the only way we can be salt and light is if we're willing to know what we believe, be able to explain what we believe, and be able to share that in a message in a way that reaches those around us. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, for faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. See, if we want to know what we believe, if we want to know where we believe, then it has to start with God's Word. So the most important question I ask you this morning is, is is the Bible your source of authority? Is the Bible your source of truth? Is the Bible where you turn to to measure everything else that is going on in our culture to see how the Word of God lines up with it? Because the Bible clearly says that this is truth. Matter of fact, in John 17, I shared with you last week, Jesus was praying for his disciples the night before he was arrested. And in that prayer, John 17 is a whole prayer for the disciples and for the lost world. And as he's praying, he prays for the disciples. He says, listen, they are going to have to be in the world, but they are not of the world. It's where we get that terminology. But at the end of chapter 17 and verse 17, he prays this prayer. Lord, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. Jesus himself said the word of God is truth. The question for us is do we believe it? Because if it's truth, very few believers are reading it. And even more importantly, very few are digging deep inside to find out what truth is and develop a consistent set of values. 
develop convictions that we can live out and share with those around us. Sadly, many Christians only get as deep in their convictions and beliefs as the preacher shares on Sunday. Because if you're only opening the truth once a week, then where are you getting your truth from? And I shared with you last week, if you're only getting your truth from what a preacher shares on Sunday or or the teacher that you listen to on the podcast or watched on TV or the Bible study class that you go to and you heard somebody say something and that began to develop a conviction, if someone convinced you to believe that, then someone more persuasive can come along and convince you that that's wrong. But when you dive into the Word of God and you begin to wrestle with it, you begin to struggle with what is true, how the Word of God lines up with our lifestyle, lines up with our attitudes, lines up with our actions, then you begin to develop a deep-seated set of convictions and beliefs that can't be rocked. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter what the culture says. Doesn't matter what the Congress says. Doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Doesn't matter what all the votes say. What matters is what this book says. You see, what I fear, especially when it comes to the church, is that as we strive to engage in a hostile culture, we don't have the answers because we really don't know them ourselves. I think we need to be like the Bereans who Paul encountered in Berea and Macedonia in Acts 17. He encounters this Berean group, and it said of the Bereans that when they received the message with eagerness, they examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. See, they didn't allow someone else to develop their convictions. They didn't allow someone else to tell them what to believe. They wanted to wrestle with it and see if it lined up with the Word of God. I worry so much that too many believers just hear people say the name Christ, say the name God, and we all of a sudden let our guard down and begin to listen to what they say because they say that they are following Jesus, because they say that they love Jesus or that they love you. We all of a sudden assume that what they're going to say is true. The Bereans said, no, I'm going to dig into the truth. We appreciate your message, but we're going to develop deep-seated convictions that come from us. You see, I'm not worried about Christians in this survey that that read the Bible only once a week. I'm not worried about Christians that don't read the Bible at all. Why? Because I believe that if they're hungry and they're searching, that the Holy Spirit will convict them to get into the Bible. That's what I'm hoping will happen this morning. Now, you see, my greatest fear is those who are taking the Word of God and distorting it for their own personal use who are taking the Word of God and instead of allowing it to become truth, they're trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. You have two groups of people. You have the legalists that instead of taking it at face value and trusting the Word of God, they want to add more to it. They want to add more rules. They want to add more into it. You know, that's what Paul was saying in Galatians. The passage that I gave you in our Scripture in Galatians chapter 1, he says this, verse 6, For I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Those are harsh words. As we have already said, so I'll say again, if anybody is preaching you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And then Paul says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? For I am trying to please men. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, we've got so many people out there that say the name of Jesus. But it's not truth from the Word of God. 
They distort it. They twist it. We've got groups of people out there that when we talk about these cultural issues that want to talk about why the Bible doesn't say what it really says. They want to argue with you that the Bible is really not our sole source of authority. It, our emotions are or popular opinion is. See, we just love somebody enough and that overcomes truth. That's not reality. You've got a whole group of people, even religious organizations that are saying, well, th this is a good book, but it really doesn't apply to us anymore. It's a good book, but it really doesn't apply to the situations that we face. You see, what they want to do is they want to take parts of it that their lifestyle is okay with and leave the rest out. They only preach parts that make people comfortable. You see, we don't want to offend anybody. And Jesus himself said the word of God is offensive to those who are not Christians. That's why we've got to be so careful with how we share it, so careful with what we do. See, what I'm afraid is by our unwillingness to know the truth, our unwillingness to dive in and dig in and discover where our convictions come from, we're just like those other people. We hear somebody say something and it sounds good and it may run counter to God and so we look in here and we say, listen, that, I don't like this verse. And so we take it and we say, listen, it doesn't matter to me anymore and we throw it away. And we go down and we start reading and somebody else says something else and as we're reading we say, listen, that, that's really, you know, that doesn't relate to me anymore. And so we take it and we tear it out and put it away. Now, you know the sad thing? Some of you are more worried about me tearing pages out of this book than people that do that around us every day, all the time. See, some of you are caught more off guard because I tore pages out of a book that I use this book just specifically to tear it. It's been torn before. But I do that to prove to you that some of us get so, oh no, he tore the Bible up. What do you care? You don't read it. Oh no, he tore the Bible, he tore words out of this little book. What do you care? You've got people that are living around you on a daily basis that are distorting it, that are twisting its words, and it doesn't bother us a bit. To each his own, right? You see, if we are ever going to engage our culture for Christ, we need Christians who believe that the Bible is God's holy word, that it is absolute truth. That's why Paul said a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians, it's the sword of the Spirit. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is involved in the Word of God and has the power to transform, the power to change lives. I want you to listen to what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this. Paul's talking, you know, Timothy is in Ephesus. And I don't want to get back to Ephesians again, but he's in Ephesus. Paul left him there. Ephesus is a mess. They're having all kinds of problems. So Paul writes this letter to warning of some things. Now, let me just say this before I get into this. There are all kind of questions that come up when you talk about the Bible. There are all kind of questions. How do we get the Bible? How do we know it's true? How can we trust the Bible? You use those terms like inerrant and effective and, and without error and it's trustworthy. I, I don't have time to go into all of those kind of things this morning, but a couple of uh, years ago on a Wednesday night, I taught an in-depth study on what the Bible is and how it's founded and where it's formed and how we get all the translations. And if you're interested in that, there's notes in the back that you can grab those. It's, a, it's like a little mini book, but it's like six or seven front and back pages that you can grab if you want to study that because that's important to you then get that but this morning I'm more important with our heart and how it relates to what this book says 
And so Paul warns Timothy, this is what it's going to look like in the end times. And Paul thought the end times were coming soon. He says, basically, this is what it looks like when you're facing in Ephesus. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and unholy and without love and unforgiving and slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds pretty similar to what we're facing today. Times don't change. So what did Paul say to Timothy? He said, listen, this is going to get bad. Does he say you need to run off into the church and lock the doors and not let them in? Maybe we need to form another Christian subculture and and not be involved with anyone outside to protect ourselves. Did he say go get a shoebox and a bullhorn and go stand on the corner and start rebuking people? That's not what he says. Listen to what he says. Verse 14, chapter 3. But as for you... When it relates to you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of because you know that it comes from whom you've learned it and how from infancy, from the time you were a kid, you've known the Scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 16, For all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what does he say about the Word of God? What does he say? He said, what are we supposed to do? He says, engage. Trust in this. Don't trust in that self-help book. Don't trust in what everybody... Trust in this. He said, it is God-breathed. What does that mean, God-breathed? That means that God breathed life into the writers of this book. Now, he didn't force their hand. It wasn't robotic. He breathed life and inspired them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit to put this book together. So this is the very breath of God to you. And if this is the breath of God, then that changes everything. Because he says, because it is the breath of God, it is useful. And that word useful, some of your translations say beneficial. But a better word there is relevant. It is relevant for what? Teaching rebuking, correcting, instruction in righteousness. People today say, well, the Bible is no longer relevant. No, it's as relevant today as it was then. Why? Because we're facing the same culture and the same issues. You think what we're facing is bad? Go study what was going on in first century Rome. Go study what was going on all throughout the Roman Empire and how their culture lived. Paul's saying, listen, it's going to be the same, and this is still relevant to us. What is it relevant for? He said it's relevant for teaching. Now, what does teaching mean here? How does that say that the Bible should be used for teaching? It says the Bible gives instructions for life. Assuming that we're willing to learn, the Bible is willing to teach us how to live a life, and not just spiritual things. It tells us how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good father. Gives you warnings about loaning money and borrowing money. Gives you hints on how you can raise your kids. Gives you practical advice. He said the Word of God is great, practical, and relevant. So it's also good for rebuking. Now, rebuking sounds harsh, but it's not harsh. What rebuking means is it is an attitude adjustment about something that we were misinformed on. 
You see, I may have the attitude that someone is a success determined by how much money they have or by how big a car they drive or, or how many friends that they have. That means a success. But the Word of God says success is defined by pleasing God. So that means my attitude about what success is needs to be adjusted. It's been rebuked. And so I need to have my attitude come in line with what God's attitude is. Rebuking. And then correction is almost like rebuking, but instead of dealing with attitudes, it deals with behavior. He says the Word of God is perfect for helping you live the life that you're to live. And when you get out of line, when you, he, he assumes that all of us are going to wander, and we do. When we start wandering away from where God called us, then the Word of God is what brings us back. It corrects us, corrects our path. He's saying it's good for instructions and righteousness. What does that mean? That means holiness and integrity. Helps us to learn to be more like Jesus. See, this book is everything that you need to be able to live the life that God's called you to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to understand not only is it true, but it can equip us to have a vital spiritual life, but it also can equip you and me to engage our culture. You see, every answer that we need for reaching our culture is found in this book. Let me give you some statements that come out of this passage that are, are just true, that I want you to reason with me, kind of deductive reasoning. If God gave us the entire Bible, if it's God-breathed, then all of its teachings are still relevant to everything we do. Because God is ever-present. God is omnipresent. God knows tomorrow as much as he did yesterday. Somebody said, well, it's written, you know, 2,000 years ago. Do you not think God recognized 2,000 years ago what would be going on today? See, God doesn't see time the way we see time. God stands outside of time. He sees Jesus' death on the cross at the same moment that he sees you in church right here today. It's all happening at once because he is outside of time. So do you not think when he inspired these books and inspired Paul to write and John to write and Peter to write that he knew what we were going to be facing and he knew not only would it be relevant then, it would be relevant today. Doesn't matter how much culture changes. Doesn't matter what language it's in. Doesn't matter what culture it is. This is relevant. It's God-breathed. And since God speaks through it, then maybe we need to listen. And since God has revealed truth in it, then this needs to be the final standard for what we believe. Now, there are other religious groups that will say, well, it's a good book, but it has a lot of errors and it's not really relevant today. Well, who determines what is relevant and what's not relevant? You do, if you believe that. Then that means who is your final source of authority if that's what you believe? You. Popular opinion, whatever the majority votes. And that's where we find ourselves in cultures today. And we've got churches, sadly, that are turning toward popular opinion as to not offend anybody and are discounting the truth of the Word of God. You see, what Paul says is just like a, a ruler is measuring feet and in inches... The book and the Word of God is how we measure our lives and the culture we're in. And you see, you hold this up. And what I hope to do in this series, if the Bible's not the truth and authority for you, then you're going to struggle through this series because what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold each of these topics in the next couple of weeks up to the Word of God and measure where they stand. You see, why that's a struggle for some of us is because some of us are embarrassed to hold the Word of God up to our lives and use it as a measuring tool. See, we want the Bible to fit into our lives instead of our lives fitting into the Bible. 
See, we like to live how we want to live and then find things in the Bible that approve of how we live, and that's where we, that's where we focus on. That's why it's easy. Let, let, me just, let me just speak truth to you. That's why it's easy in Baptist churches for most people to talk about homosexuality, to rail against it, rain against it. Because most of us in this room probably don't struggle with that sin. When's the last time you heard in a Baptist church then preach against gluttony? Maybe I'll do that next week on Cover Dish Sunday. <laughs> I mean, it gets real quiet. Why? Because that's not as bad, right? Gossip. The New Testament is filled with warning against gossip and the tongue and how it destroys lives and destroys families. You don't hear a lot of sermons on it. Why? Because it makes everybody mad. Because when we measure this up to how we live, we fail. That's why this book is great for teaching and rebuking and correcting and practicing righteousness. You see, we need to recognize that this book can change your lives. There are other places to get truth. Let me say, I'm not saying this is the only truth. There's other things in this world where truth comes. This book doesn't tell us a lot of things. It doesn't tell us how to change a flat tire. It doesn't tell you how to build a house. It doesn't tell you how to cure a disease. It doesn't tell you how to solve algebraic expressions. Although I think that's probably demonic, and so that's included in here under witchcraft. But there's truth outside of the Bible, but that truth in reality comes from our experience and it comes from the things that we read and the study and science and reasoning. And those are not wrong, but ultimately all those other truths, since God is the creator of all things, are part of God's truth. In a general sense, it is God's truth. But in a specific sense, this is the ultimate truth. The statement that our church has as an evangelical church is this about the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible and total, inerrant in its parts, complete, so that nothing can be diminished or added to it. It is authoritative, so that whatever it says is absolutely true and commands our obedience. It is sufficient, so that it is able to do to us and for us everything we need, and it is effective. It will do what it says. It is God's holy Word. See, the Bible's focus is not science. There's science in there, but it's not a science book not a history book there's history in there it's not a history book it's a book that helps reveal who God is and God's nature and it reveals how we can have a relationship with him and be more like him and in that it is perfect and without error and when we begin to stand on that our life changes now the question this morning is how much do you know about this book if you have 4.7 of them laying around your house, how much do you use? Because you see, you can't explain what you believe and why you believe it if you don't get it from here. So my challenge for you this morning, open it up. We'll close, give you a couple of easy things on how we can make this book more important than it really is to us. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is you need to learn it. Learn it. Not quote scripture, although that's great. That word that I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. No, dig deeper. Dive in. You can't just learn by what you hear me say on Sunday or you hear your Bible study teacher say. You need to open it and dig in and read it. You need to stop being scared of it. 
This book is so dynamic. It has more drama than the greatest dramas. It has more mysteries than the greatest mysteries. It has more love than the greatest love story. You just have to dig in and find it. It's amazing when I teach sometimes that people that have been in church for 20 and 30 years say, I didn't know that was in there. You know what that's like? That's like saying to your spouse of 25 years, I never recognized that about you. How do you think that would go over? Wow, you've got a mole there. I never saw that before. But see, what we say to God is, listen, you are the greatest and I love you and you wrote me this love letter, but I, I didn't know that that was in there. Learn it. Dive in. People say, well, I'm just not a reader. Really? So you don't read Facebook and you don't read your Twitter. You don't read anything on the Internet. We, listen, you devote and pour your heart into what you love. What I find sadly is that more Christians spend time reading about the Bible and books about the Bible than they do the Bible. And listen, that's okay. Those books are great. They help you. They encourage you. But you need to get into the source. Dive in. Develop a daily Bible studies. Get something that you're going to begin to read on a regular basis. Get your devotional book. But don't let the devotional book be the end. You know what's sad to me is some Christians are reading the same devotional book that they've been reading for 25 years. That devotional book should be a start, a diving board to let you dive into the depths of what God's Word says. If you're reading the same devotional book and getting the same devotions, then you're not growing. It's like being a 25-year-old and eating baby food. It'll feed you, but it's not going to help you grow. It's not going to satisfy your needs. Start with the Bible reading time. Read a proverb. Read a psalm. Read through one of the books of the Bible. It's going to be hard at first, but the more you do, the more you learn. Get involved in a Bible study. Find a Bible study where people talk about the Word, challenge you to read, discuss it debate it. That's what we do after this. We have Bible studies that meet and what they do is they discuss what we talk about in here and the Word of God and they wrestle with these truths. Find some place you can go and study the book. Learn it. The second thing you need to do is learn to love it. Learn it and love it. See, the more we fall in love with God's Word, the more it speaks to our heart, the more passion we will have to spend time with it. And to do that, you have to get the Holy Spirit involved. It means you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and open your eyes to this. Because you see, without the Holy Spirit involved, this is just a boring book of rules. It really is. That's why some people read it and say, I can't read it. It's just because you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to show you its truths. You're not committing yourselves to, to meditating on its words. Because when the Holy Spirit gets involved, all of a sudden these truths, you, they become part of your heart and you begin to love it. And the more you love it, you know what happens? The more you want to read it. You ever had a book that you didn't want to put down? And that's the way it gets with the Word of God sometimes. And not all the time. There are sometimes I, I fall asleep when I'm trying to read it. But there are times when the Holy Spirit is moving in my heart. Man, I just dive in and I start reading through some of the Psalms and God starts speaking to me and I start falling in love with it. I don't want to put it down. You need to learn to love it. Fall in love with the author. Because when you begin to develop intimacy and you recognize the heart of the author, you want to read what's said. Learn it. Love it. And the last thing is you've got to live it. See, we can't just take it at face value. We've got to begin to walk it out because the more you walk it out, the more you recognize it works. 
The more you start putting these principles to, to task, the more you start saying, listen, that happens, that works. Wow, that's true. If as a, a spouse I submit myself to my spouse and love them the way Christ loves the church or submit myself one to another and, and give of myself to them, all of a sudden the marriage starts getting strong. It works. When I give things over to God and, and whatever it is, my worries and my stress, and when I hand them to Jesus, he does take them and takes them off our hearts. It works. The more you live it, the more you want to learn it and the more you want to love it. And all of a sudden this book becomes more than just words a part of our lives James says this do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself do what it says live it there's a scientist that made an observation one time about his garden it is so true of Christians in the church he said as he was sitting and watching his garden one day he noticed that first this butterfly came into his garden and it was beautiful butterfly he had this big garden outside, and the butterfly would flitter and flutter from one flower to the other, never staying long, just kind of landing here and landing there. And, and you know, it really didn't get anything from the flower, really didn't give anything to the flower. It was just pretty, just cool looking. And then he noticed in an afternoon that, that one afternoon, this scientist, this man came with a big book. And he had a magnifying glass, and he was a botanist. He studied flowers. And he was out in the garden, and he had this magnifying glass, and he would look, and he would research, and he would look down at it, and he would write notes about it. And he did it for hours upon hours. And finally, he put the book up, and he put his magnifying glass up, and he walked away from the flower. And he said he noticed one afternoon that a little bitty bee came in. And this little bitty bee, instead of just flittering and fluttering, he landed on the flower and he dove down into the heart of the flower. And he began to draw all the nectar he could out of the flower. Because see, that little bee recognized that his life depended on what he drew out of the flower. Because what he drew out of the flower helped him to make honey, helped him become the purpose for his life. This man said, that's the way we approach the Word of God. He said, some of us, we flitter and we flutter. We go from Bible study to Bible study and sermon to sermon. This one sounds good and this one sounds good. And we don't really take anything from it except a good feeling. We walk there patting ourselves on the back or maybe I need to be better. We just kind of flitter and flutter. He said, and others are, are like this botanist, this scientist. You know, people dive in and we dig in and we want to know all the, the deep stuff. Man, why? Blood moons, four blood moons, and this has only happened in the last 500 years. I want to know why. So we dive in and try to explain prophecy, and we dive into eschatology. We dive into all of these things and try to write it all out. But the problem with knowledge for knowledge's sake is if there's no application, it doesn't work. And they walk away empty. Notebook full of notes. Empty. And there's those that are like the bee. They come empty and they leave full. They they reach into it and they dig everything they can out of it. Why? Because they know their life depends on it. Because they know what they draw out of it is going to determine the future and the purpose of their life. Question for us this morning is which one have you been? And more importantly, how will it change? Let's pray.